Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One of the great things about doing a podcast for some eight years is that when you come by a new wonderful podcast you can actually promote it on your platform so uh, without any further ado i would like to implore you dear listener to go and to listen to the being berlin pod it's produced by mac matan who set off for berlin in the august of 2020 what she does is interview berliners And whilst you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm sat in Boise, Idaho, or Christchurch, New Zealand, what does this have to do with me? Fundamentally, this is a story about humanity, about people finding themselves, finding their home, and connecting with others. It just so happens that it all happens within Berlin. So if you like human stories, I'm proud to be able to promote the Being Berlin podcast. Go and find it on a podcatcher of your choice today. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Just before we start today's episode, I did say that I needed to thank uh, people that have gone on to Apple Podcasts and that have written us a review. This is incredibly important for the podcast because uh, the more reviews we get, it means that uh, we expand our listenership. So if you are um, a fan of Mid-Atlantic, please go on to Apple Podcasts and write us a review today. But here we go. Drum roll, metaphorical one. Um, Hastings79, uh, JC Childress, RF4JG Film Noises 
Yelbrain and JRJ100007. Uh, we thank you uh, for, giving, for writing us reviews in the last month. If you could please um, also do the same, I'll be most grateful. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome. I'm Royful Brown, who is sat in the East Bay of uh, San Francisco. I'm sat in Oakland and today I'm going to be schooled on why the Republican Party have decided to go with Donald J. Trump again, or at least why many people in the Republican Party have not said, no, we need to move on. With me today, I have Paul Dudridge, good friend of ours on, on the show. Paul Goodfellow. Kelly Saunders, a wonderful friend of mine on the app, Adam K, and we have Brad S, who is most definitely a conservative. Let's lean into this. Let's try and, and understand why some Republicans are still enthralled to this man who seems to lose more elections than he wins. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. So many incredible friends and family here tonight. It's such a beautiful thing. It's, some people say, how do you speak before so many people all the time? If, when there's love in the room, it's really easy. If you want to know the truth. Really, you ought to try it sometime. <laughs> Together, we will be taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. Our country is in a horrible state. We're in grave trouble. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement that embodies the courage, confidence, and the spirit of the American people. Paul Dudridge, I'm going to come to you. Donald Trump talked about the love in the room when he gave his somewhat low-energy speech and he was going to run to try and regain America's trust and become its president in 2024. Does the Republican Party have love for him in return? No, and it never did. You know, he was never a, a product of the Republican Party. It was, it was a host that he had to use to achieve power. I mean, you weren't going to get in as, as a, an independent candidate or a third party candidate. He was never going to get the presidency then with that technique. So no, I mean, he's not a dyed in the wool Republican at all. And he's always, I mean, when you think of the Obamacare vote, you know, McCain, promised to vote with him, gave him the numbers, and then uh, voted against. I mean, he's never, he's been rejected by the establishment Republicans since 2015. Well, you, you, I, I couldn't agree more with, with everything you just said there. Brad S., why is it, Brad, that more Republicans, considering this man is an opportunist, he's using the Republican Party as a vehicle so he can become president, why is it that so many establishment Republicans even at this late date, are still actually behind him and his potential presidency in 2024? The short answer is going to be his base, what he was able to gin up in the electorate to actually bring forward and bring to the party. He still holds sway somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of that base, and they're not going to pretty much upset that apple cart overall. And it came down to that simple aspect. Trump holds a sway on the electorate, particularly for those in impoverished communities where they exist. Those that are not on the Wall Street area, they're not sitting in, a, I would say, coastal cities. 
it's hard to gauge Trump's polling. It's been very difficult to really totally narrow down his direct numbers. But this new uh, statement, well, his new this this primary will be able to get probably a better accurate measurement of what those uh, numbers will look like. Paul Goodfellow, Americans always talk about coalitions. You know, when a president comes comes to power, it was a coalition. Please describe in your own words the coalition that brought Trump to power in 2016 for us. Tell Trump was able to bring in quite a lot of working class white voters, especially in the industrial Midwest, places like Pennsylvania and Ohio, that used to pull quite strongly for the the Democratic Party in the the early, mid and latter parts of the 20th century, but have kind of splintered off as the party has become a little more coastal minded, a little more sort of elitist in terms of its policy outcomes. And along with the sort of more traditional social conservative vote, they managed to really propel Trump to victory in 2016 and almost got him there in 2020. Kelly Saunders, one thing that marked the midterms was the young American vote. Americans between the ages of 18 to 30 overwhelmingly voted Democrat. Doesn't this point to a key kind of weakness of Donald Trump, that he seems to speak for an America which is now in the rearview mirror? For sure. I mean, I wouldn't limit it to, to that brute, but absolutely, he's he's not messaging at all. He's not connecting with, with the youngest generation. I, I personally don't see how he's going to be able to do it because he's losing any connection that he has at this point with everyone else. Adam Kay, Ron DeSantis seems to be the darling of many in the on the conservative right of, of American politics. Are we going to have in the next two years, an existential fight between Trump and DeSantis. Is this basically the, the fight that's going to define the future of the Republican Party? I think it will certainly define the, the fight for 2024. I, I'm not sure we can look too far beyond the next election cycle, considering the, the personalities being so prominent in how people will be voting rather than particular issues, save abortion. And, you know, DeSantis was the outlier in the midterms in terms of Republican success, massively increasing his his vote share from some 35,000 to beat his competitor in 2018, I believe, to I think is 1.6 million or more this time around. An interesting bellwether at, that will test the rivalry between DeSantis and Trump is the Georgia runoffs. The last Georgia runoff, Trump upon uh, Georgia Georgia voters choosing a, the, the Democrats, he he had a lot of nasty things to say about Georgia and Georgia voters, and I think a lot of Georgia Republicans are probably pleading with Trump not to show up in Georgia. But it'll be interesting to see if DeSantis does. He's next door. It might be his way of dipping his toe in the water to see you know how he would play on on the national level. Paul, Adam's right to point out that DeSantos did so well in, in his election to be reconfirmed as of the governor of, of Florida. What is the appeal that the Republican Party, certain elements of the Republican Party and the establishment have for DeSantos over Trump? For us who are on the other side of the aisle, please describe the two politically for us. Well, I think that it's that DeSantis is actually practising conservative policies in Florida. I mean, he took on Disney. He did the so-called don't say gay bill that never ever said that. He's doing literally ruling as an anti-woke star, which is 
from the establishment's point of view, is very attractive for the base, seemingly. But when it comes to hurricanes, when it comes to dealing with the federal government, he will act accordingly and professionally with President Biden. So he's seen as a safe enough pair of hands by the Republican establishment and actually somebody with experience in government and actually on the ground doing the boring work of being a governor and doing the daily duties of that, yet still having that hopefully populist appeal that will appeal to Trump's base. He is seen as the golden child. I don't think that the base are going to be that easily. I don't think the entirety of Trump's base can be won over to that argument. And that's going to be the issue is Trump is, if I don't, if if I can go on a little, I think Trump is going to torch the Republican Party for disloyalty. It's as simple as that, really. I think the Republican Party, much like Farage with the Conservatives in the UK, I think he's going to take his base away and they've got absolutely no chance. I can't see that Trump is going to play nice with the establishment Republican Party whose recent, any successes that they have had, he takes full responsibility for. He's made them a kind of essential fighting machine, bringing in MAGA, evolving from the Tea Party. And I think he feels quite probably correctly that he's been disrespected. But why should they have any respect for him when he, that your first comment on here was that he is just infecting the host? He has no loyalty to the party. Why would he expect them to have any loyalty back to him? Well, because you might have a 20, 30% MAGA contingent, but anybody then who is on the, on the Republican ticket is also getting in on their coattails. He, he was actively responsible for so many Republicans actually get, gaining and regaining their seats in 2016. Remember, it was definitely all over. You know, Hillary was 100% going to win, 95% chance of winning. So anybody that won in 2016 that was under the Republican stripe, they won because of Trump. They won because of unprecedented numbers of first-time voters registering to vote, to vote for Donald Trump. So I think he understandably does, he can legitimately feel underappreciated because any success they did have came because of that night in 2016. And he's been treated like the, I was going to say the ginger stepchild, but I don't want to offend anyone, but certainly like the stepchild by the party as a kind of an inconvenience. And I, I totally understand why that would cause resentment. But Brad, surely the reason why he is seen as an inconvenience is because of the Republicans' performance in the 2018 midterms, 2020. We very clearly saw during that election, Brad, that down ballot Republicans fared better than him being on top of the ticket. And then the Republicans have massively underperformed in the midterms in 2022. This man is a drag on the party. They need to divest themselves of of him and move on. Surely that's the case. It's, again, it's difficult to pin him down in regards to that. So if you bring up the 2018, what was his endorsement record? I mean, I I just have the 2022 ones off of my head, but I don't remember the exact number of endorsements from there. But even in the 2020 election, Trump carried a lot of down ticket Republicans across the finish line. So, I mean, it's hard to say that they would have won without him. I, George is a unique case. And yes, there are pockets of the U.S. that Trump is taboo. 
But at the same time, when we look at the results of this current one, Trump had 495 endorsements, 289 general election endorsements. He has about an 82% success rate. And you're looking at Joe Biden, who had a 12-person endorsement. And he had a 78% success rate. So when you look at Trump, it's kind of hard to see that nomination. Yes, a lot of those were in safe red districts. But I mean, you're looking at a man who does hold large sway with the base and the electorate that's going to nominate and vote in. So it's again, it's too hard to pin him down in regards to the, the question you're asking for. Can I just interrupt a sec? I think get, I might get the numbers wrong and I'll be quick, but I think Trump only lost between 35 and I think it was like 35 seats in 2018 midterms. And you look at people like Obama, I think he lost 60. I think Clinton lost 40. I think the the midterm election losses are kind of baked into the the sum. People assume that you're gonna the the administration's gonna lose seats, and Trump's losses were actually favourable compared to Obama 2010, which I think was 60. Anyway, I'll shut up. Somebody who is the perfect person, the best person aside from Donald Trump himself, to talk to about his candidacy. Somebody who knows him very well, ran with him last time. We're talking about the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. He's got a brand new book out. Uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, so many Republicans had urged the former president, your running mate, uh, wait until after Georgia because they want that Senate seat in Republican hands. He did not. Any idea why? Uh, But it's a free country. The president's entitled to announce his intentions uh, whenever he desires. But uh, I honestly believe uh, that uh, we'll have better choices come 2024. You know, I I don't think anybody could have... Better choices than Donald Trump? uh, I do. I'm putting this question to you, Cad. Here is Mike Pence. He was Donald Trump's vice president. Let's put completely to one side what might or might not have happened during January the 6th. But he was somebody who worked with him for four years and has said it's time for the Republican Party and the American people to move on. I mean, a- absolutely. But it's, it's also I mean, it's also the smart thing to do for Pence and anybody else who wants to have any sort of credible career. It seems to me, I mean, obviously there's a lot of time left, but I mean, he's losing his donors. I, it, it seems clear to me, obviously, not everybody that he's losing his base. I'm certainly not convinced that his base is what Brad thinks it is anymore. I mean, I think that we're going to start to see more and more people distancing themselves from Trump for their for their own purposes. To, to me, it was totally expected to be. And I know that you said set aside, set aside what happened in, in January. But to be quite honest, I, I don't I don't see how anybody who wants wants to move forward with the, within the Republican Party would take any other position than distancing themselves from Donald Trump at this point. And that's it, isn't it, Paul Goodfellow? We have Rupert Murdoch saying, Donald, your time is up. Fox News is obviously a part of the Rupert Murdoch empire, but and they're definitely much cooler on the whole idea of Donald Trump. Can Donald Trump really run to become the next president of the United States without the backing of Rupert Murdoch? I think he can I think he can make a run. I don't know if he'll be able to to win. But again, you know, I'm not gonna also overstate the power of Fox News. Fox has been the kingmaker for the Republican Party at least over the last 10-15 years ever since I'd say probably the mid-2000s. But, you know, the media landscape is also diversifying quickly and I I don't think it's going to maintain the same power after, you know, maybe 2024-2025 maybe that it, that it had in 
2012 and 2016, I think we're going to see a diversification. And I think as the voting population gets younger and we've seen demographically and through media surveys, younger voters don't watch broadcast news at the same rates that their older parents did. And I think that does tend to water down the influence of Murdoch and and the others on Fox News. Adam Kay, what would you see the pathway being for for Donald Trump to to become the Republican nominee? The way that I kind of framed half of these questions is to say that it's going to be a, a total given that he's going to be the Republican nominee, but he's not necessarily, is he? So what is the pathway between now and let's say the Republican primary in terms of him just getting the confidence of the Republican Party. So he so let's say it's a coronation and not an election. Well, I think I think ultimately there will be candidates that will run against him. The, you know, the the Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, let's say kind of George W. Bush neocon Republican establishment despise Trump, probably more than even <laughs> Democrats despise Trump. And so they will not sit idly by. They will run someone or multiple people and will try to do everything they can to trash Trump. I think DeSantis plays a, a high wire act because Trump, as was noted before, carries, you know, a good 30 plus percent of the Republican base. With, with those numbers and, and some of the, the, the polling, it, it, it seems he has a clear head start. And I don't know that DeSantis wants to... Um, necessarily take down Trump and sacrifice a critical component to any electoral success in the general. So I, I think Trump will probably galvanize his base and eviscerate the reputation of all, all his opponents and probably run away as he has been from the issue of abortion and double down on what would be the perceived failures of the Biden administration in foreign policy, but specifically the economy. And I think that 2023 is going to be a very hard year economically. So I think that that's where he's going to make his gravy. Paul Dudridge, 2023 is going to be a hard year globally, let alone in the United States. However, President Biden and the Democrats are rubbing their hands with glee with the prospect of going up against Donald J. Trump. Doesn't that show what a weak candidate that he's perceived to be? Yeah, I mean, it really does. See, look, I'm so ultra right that I don't even recognize the presidency as being that significant. I honestly see this as the beginning of a populist revolution. I think Trump is anti the Republicans and the Democrats. So I can't, I come from the wing that sort of doesn't care. You know, these instruments to be able to return power to the people by, of, and for is more important historically. And that's what Donald Trump represents. That's why he's so significant. Who cares who's in the White House? It's still a globalist economy that they're running. They're still pandering to exactly the same Federal Reserve Bank corporatism. And that's what the, no matter how you whittle down his base, there's always going to be a large enough contingent that see it that way that will torch and scupper the Republican Party. So I, I, you know, I think that almost the question is, is that can Trump win next time? I don't think there's a chance he can win the presidency, but that's not the point. Can he be really powerful and effective? 100%. And he will once again use the Republican Party, even against its own will, to achieve that. Joining me now is Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor. Is this a new Donald Trump? 
Is he going back to the substance of 2016? And uh, are the grievances gone? Are the election denial gone? Is the trash talk gone? What do you make of it, Charlie Hurt? I think you nailed it exactly right. Uh, you know, Donald Trump got elected in 2016 not because he was a nice guy. He got elected on the issues, and they were on the issues that both Democrats and Republicans in Washington had ignored for decades. And it uh, carried him into the White House despite all of the efforts by Democrats, Republicans, and the media to stop him. Uh, you know, obviously there's always room in a campaign for entertainment, and nobody entertains better than Donald Trump does. But that's not what the American people really care about. What they care about are these issues. And fighting for the American people, be they Democrat, Republican, independent, fighting for American people, fighting for workers, fighting for the country is what people love about this guy. And if he stays focused on that, no matter how hysterical his opponents might be, he can be presidential because he's been president. Give it a try. It worked last night and it'll work for the next two years. Brad S, I must admit, I'm not quite sure what the issues were that got Donald J. Trump elected in 2016. But as I said, I'm properly avowed as being on the other side of the aisle and I'm, I'm here to understand. Please tell us what are the issues that got Donald J. Trump elected in 2016 and what you think his platform could and should be in 2024. It was the wedge issues that got him elected in 2016. It'll be the wedge issues that will carry the day with him. The top tiered issues are going to, of course, be the economy. It's going to sit there. Jobs. And, the t and not just pulling out a jobs number report and saying, look, we have all these jobs. It's the location of where those jobs, you know, the, the push and the advance to service sector economies, upending whole towns from, you know, basically those coal miners and all of these other industries that exist out there. He spoke to that. He also spoke to, you know, impoverished communities in droves. I mean, even in the 2020, he drove out that base again and he gained followers. He got more representation from that. So for him, it's going to be immigration. It's going to be police and crime. That's going to be an issue. And it's going to be the economy. Those top three issues, he's going to go forth on it. If tensions continue to escalate overseas, you're going to see that as the fourth or maybe fifth issue that comes up in, in regards to it. He's also waging against the culture war. He's attacking the media. He's attacking a lot of the, what you would say, less key agenda items and, and key culture war issues of the day. So he's, he's going after them in a way that other Republicans really had not done till 2016. You didn't really hear them say that in front of a camera, in front of a crowd going after that. And actually, I think Trump stole a little bit from Obama because I actually think Obama did a lot of that to help him surge past Hillary and basically kind of go forth and take that platform. I think a lot of what Trump did in 2016 was actually kind of taken from how Obama went about it. But this time around, if the economy continues to have high inflation, we lose that, you know, zero credit credit thing. If we have escalations overseas and continued and we see a lot of, you know, people sitting there going, I don't feel safe, secure, and I don't think I have an economical future that's guaranteed to me, they're probably going to switch and go with Trump. They're going to listen to him. And he's attacking that. And we didn't hear any of that in the midterms. We didn't hear those wedge issues talked about at nearly the length that they needed to in the midterms. Isn't that in part because maybe there's more that unites Americans and actually divides them. And these wedge issues are seen as, could be seen as somewhat uh, 
needlessly divisive. Roger, welcome to the stage. Trump is a ball of rage, self-pity. He talks about losers. He's become a loser. He he disregards victims, then says he's a victim. Is it time not only for the Republican Party to divest itself of this man, but also for the American people? Roger Mayhem, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'd have to imagine that the Republican leadership and those within the party that that care about its future have to be envisioning a world in which Trump doesn't exist. The problem is that's not going to be 2024. They're they're going to have to endure these next couple of years. And hopefully the, the, the best thing that could happen to the Republican Party would be for someone to challenge them to, to challenge Trump and to beat him in a primary. That would be the best thing that could happen to the Republican Party. It would be the best thing that could happen for the country. As long as that person you know, wins that election by reestablishing themselves based on re- principles that, that the rank and file party members used to stand for. That's, that, that would be the best possible outcome. But for these next two years, I think we got to roll with the punches. Hopefully, you know, those, those of us with a sense of humor will at least enjoy, you know, the comedy and the parodies that we'll have of him. But uh, when it comes to ruling a country, I mean, man, it, it, the stakes are far too high to give the reins to, but they're also far too high to leave the reins with somebody like a Biden or a Harris or anybody that I can envision running, you know, on, on the other side of the aisle. I, I think we're screwed altogether. And I think there's equal amount of soul searching that both parties need to do. Answer. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And welcome to, to Mid-Atlantic. I think it's probably your first time actually on the podcast, though you've been in, in many of my rooms before. Roger Mayhem makes the point that the Republicans have let the American people down and the Democrats have done also. As, as a Brit, it's hard not to look at the kind of gerontocracy that runs both parties as being one of the maybe problems with American politics. Do we need clean sweep, a new broom in American politics? And and if so, could we have one for the 2024 election? Absolutely, we need a clean sweep, no doubt in my mind. In preview, I've, I've had about a six-month hiatus from Clubhouse 
But now that Trump has announced, I have tentatively put my toe in the water to start commenting again. So thank you for letting me, me share. I don't know what's going to happen in 24, but I know what I hope happens, that we don't see either Joe Biden or Donald Trump on the ballot. I believe that there is no greater threat to the America and by extension to geopolitics than the great divide that is sweep that has been sweeping our country ever since 9/11 and how did, the question someone was i think asked the question how did trump get elected and brad said it was the wedge issues i don't agree i think that it was it could be encapsulated in americans were sick and tired of the swamp and i would say ever since 9/11 and that wanted the swamp to be drained. Well, what's happened since 2016? The depth of the water in the swamp has gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. We have two very large pipes, one coming from the right and one coming from the left, and both sides are dumping raw sewage into the, into the swamp, and it has become more and more toxic. And that's what the American people are sick and tired of. Now, as a second one, a second one, they hate inflation. They hate six, seven, whatever it is, dollars a gallon for gas. They hate those kinds of things. But nobody has a solution to them. And I didn't hear, I heard Trump, as usual, ranting and raving about how terrible the Democrats are. But I didn't hear a single solution other than he alone knows the solution. And I, uh, there's one other quick point and then I'll stop. Well, Piotr left, but uh, I haven't engaged with Piotr in my six month hiatus, obviously. But I asked him if he had listened to the Trump tapes. I I don't know if I've asked you that question, Roy Phil. The Trump tapes that are raw, raw Trump, they're not edited in any way, shape, or form by Bob Woodward. And if anybody wants to see how deep the swamp is, just listen to those tapes. And anybody that thinks he's the guy to drain the swamp now is, is, Anson, is wrong. It, it is a brilliant point. I'm going to put this to you, Brad S. If I remember two of the things which Trump ran on in 2016, it was, I'm going to build a wall. Wall wasn't built or at least it most definitely was not completed, nowhere near completed, even if a war was started. And and there's somewhat debate in that. And also he said he was going to drain the swamp. And this was kind of key, getting corruption out of Washington. It's hard, and I'm trying to be fair here, but those two key things um, he massively failed on. And if we look at all of the things he's been embroiled with, He's added to the swamp. How can this man claim to have to be somebody who's anti-corruption when the last six years is somebody who is mired in um, tax evasion and other scandals? And this is just before I even go Google this stuff. Brad S. surely is busted flush in that regard. (laughs) Well, you're going to meet the one conservative who actually was against the wall. I don't like walls, but that is for conservation reasons. And I like land and I'm just one of those guys that just doesn't like walls put up or fences. But overall, the wall, it's funny you say that because the wall has actually been resumed to be working on right now under a different administration. So it's it's the walls, I guess, are going to be a thing we're going to have to live with across both parties. Um, 
that his failure to drain the swamp, absolutely, I agree with it. There was a lot of decisions, a lot of people he brought in that I looked at and said, okay, this isn't draining the swamp, this is bringing it in. And some of the people were mired. Now, the problem with saying that he's, he's you know, tax evasion and all those stuff, yes, I, I can see the charges, I can see the facts, but then why hasn't there been a, a case successfully prosecuted against him? And that's my, my rationale behind it is we can say all these things, but why hasn't it, the DOJ to any state AGs to all this stuff, the, the only thing that they're doing now that's of any real substance, I would say, is bringing forth a civil suit against the Trump family. And so this is, this is kind of going to the point where I don't know who's more infatuated with Trump, the Republican side or the Democrat side, because every time they levy charges, there's nothing that is sticking to this man. And maybe he is Teflon Don. Maybe he is so corrupt and so mired that he's untouchable. But the mere fact that they, every time we heard it, we heard this phrase, tick, 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 we're going to get Donald Trump. They haven't gotten him. You have, well, like, but but there, is a, there is that uh, public prosecutor in New York who's bring, bringing uh, That's a that civil, civil suit. Case. Yeah. Well, and you said yeah. it should be a civil suit. That's exactly what you said. I mean, no, I said she's only she's been only able to bring a civil suit. She hasn't been able to prosecute on, on behalf of the state or city of New York City or of the state of New York. So she's bringing forth a civil suit. So, again, the, the, these measures and I expect the civil suit to actually probably be thrown out or dismissed and we won't hear anything of it. Because, again, it comes down to the point is if it's so corruptible and it, we, we know all this stuff and I'm not saying he's innocent or guilty, but I'm just saying where is the victory for proving that case? Gotcha. All right. I'm going to throw this question to you, Paul. Let's say Donald Trump runs again in 2024 and actually becomes the president. This is actually to Paul Goodfellow. Then I'm going to come to you, Paul Dudridge. He would be termed out then. 2028, Trump couldn't run again. What Republican Party would we have then? I couldn't tell you, honestly, because I think right now what's happening like in real time is a slowly emerging Republican civil war between the Trump faction and probably the the more sort of business minded conservatives. And this is not going to be a fun couple of years for the GOP. I think this is going to be a pretty nasty fight that is going to have to get played out. Otherwise, you know, I don't I don't see how the Republican Party survives as a functional whole if they can't figure out what kind of party they want to be. And it's going to be you have the social conservatives, you have the business conservatives, and you have the, the Trump MAGA conservatives, none of which actually agree on a lot of policies, all under the same tent. And right now, I, I just don't see how the Trump Republicans remain in the party without driving one of those two other factions out and threatening electoral gains, you know, after 2024. This is a recording of the podcast Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic, I've been doing it for some eight years now. I think just the other day we did our millionth download. So so big thumbs up to everybody who's contributed to Mid-Atlantic in, in the last eight years. We've spoken to senators, we've spoken to politicians, MPs in Britain, and uh, we also speak to informed British and American citizens. Invariably, what we look at is UK and, and US news and views. But we have widened our scope in the last 12 months to look at the migrant crisis in Morocco, where some 100 plus black Africans were needlessly left to die by the uh, Moroccan police. We've looked at the war in Ukraine and 
and other things besides. So if you're listening to this at home, why don't you download the Clubhouse app and you can be part of the live recording of this podcast. If you download it, then you'll be alerted. If you search for Mid-Atlantic, when we go live with these rooms and you can be in the audience, you can raise your hands and have a two-way podcast experience. Paul Dudridge, one of the outcomes for the Republican Party could well be that it's Christian nationalism and the Republicans, yes, get about 10% of the African-American male vote, 6% of the African-American female vote. And dependent on which state you're in, they, they can actually do, do, do quite well in getting Latin. But one of, the, one of the outcomes for the Republican Party could be that it becomes a de facto white nationalist forward slash Christian National Party. Is that MAGA or is MAGA something else? Oh, MAGA's something else. Yeah, you're describing the Democrats there. That's the Senator Robert Byrd being the recruiter for the UK. No, MAGA is nothing to do nah, with... Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. But, but go on, go on, Paul. Well, she wasn't a recruiter for the KKK. But MAGA is nothing to do with white nationalism in any way. I mean, obviously, that's it's reasonable that it's used to besmirch them and to, in the same way I'll call... Democrats, communists, they're not actually, it's just an abuse that gets thrown around. No, that's not where, if you saw in the figures of these midterms, one of the, the major results in Florida was the increase of the, the Latino vote, massively so. So it crosses all lines. I was going to say my one little bit of two cents on this really is that when we talk about the swamp, I, on my side, and I can't speak for everybody, but uh, on the side of MAGA, we're not talking about corruption. We're talking about cosy professional politics, establishment politics. So instead of America first being a shocking thing to say, actually, that should be the policy of both parties. But the, it's, the in, it's the indistinguishability of the both parties, I think, is what we're talking about when we talk about the swamp in Washington. So... That would be my take on it. But no, there's nothing to do with it's nothing to do with race or anything. It's to do with the fact that we seem to look what Trump mentioned. He's one of the only politicians I've seen in recent times with anybody with any power actually talking about globalism. He talks about globalism and he did it during that speech the other night. It's like that's where my side, I think, is and most exercised is that we have given up the independence, if you like, the prioritizing of the United States, the patriotism for the United States to be part of some kind of, you know, huge globalist blob. And that's where intellectually, I think, where the battle's going. I think in the next two years, you're going to be seeing a huge, huge breakdown in American society. I think we are heading towards food riots, etc. And so I do think that a lot of what we're talking about is kind of moot. And we will, we are beginning to see a true populist against establishment movement forming. Michael Donoghue, welcome to the stage, sir. Is Paul Dudridge right that, again, really, it, it's a pox on both houses. There are deep structural issues which the Democrats aren't looking at. They're not concerned about the plight of, of America. They, they see themselves as part of a globalist blob. The, the American political system is rotten uh, from within. Are the Democrats as complicit with the Republicans? Yeah, I would try and list the areas in which Paul is incorrect. But again, I think your podcast, you know, not many people tune into a 24-hour podcast. It is, is um, the thing, Michael. I tell you what, if you try and be succinct, I do actually edit this thing. 
Right. So if you can be succinct and run through three or four points, I'll do my best also to to edit it down. Try your best, sir. I, I Right. Okay. So first off, to say that race doesn't have anything to do with the MAGA movement is just ridiculous. And trying to bring up Senator Byrd, who is a legacy of the Southern strategy, indicates a sort of a lack of knowledge of American political history. Well, he was a recruiter for the KKK. You're not, you're not denying that, though. No, I'm not denying that, but you, you have to understand the So flip. not wrong, then. I wasn't actually wrong. It's hardly wrong. contemporary politics, though, yeah, uh, Paul. It, it's is, wrong is to associate. There was a great flip of Democrats and Republicans in the South. And I, I don't want to go into it, but if you Google it, Google Southern Strategy, etc., he was a remnant of that extremely racist Democratic base that existed in the American South. But... I think I think just to answer, I think, a prior statement that you put out about, you know, Trump telling lies or, or fibbing and and how can he stand up there and say X, Y, Z when, you know, it's demonstrably false is, you know, like when has that ever stopped him before? We, we had five plus years of him saying stuff that was demonstrably false. And I believe as of this last week, he has an 80% favorability rating among registered Republicans. So, you know, he's he's going to say what he wants to say regardless, because he knows that his base, which is, again, 80% of Republicans, it's hard to get daylight between the two, are, are going to believe it. And I, I think whether or not he is the candidate or not really comes down to whether or not his attacks on DeSantis land home. You know, one of the reasons that he was so successful in, in the primaries the first time around was that, you know, he landed really good attacks and he made it a little bit embarrassing for people to support the other candidate. Time will tell whether or not he can do that to DeSantis or not. For that considered opinion, Michael, Neiman Marxist, with a name like that. So I'm not going to cue you up with a question here. I'm going to say Donald Trump 2024. What says you, sir? I mean, there's either one or two things that are going to happen with this. It's essentially going to fracture the Republican Party in such a way where you have DeSantis and Trump supporters plus whoever else decides to run. But more than likely, it's going to be DeSantis. I mean, some most people, I, I feel like, have kind of let go of Trump and all of his craziness. But I don't know. There's some people that are still ride or die for this man for what value don't really see any, especially considering how bad his four years in office were with little to no productivity for the American people at all. Last word to you, Corey. You're, you're a good Brit like myself, but you're obviously a student of American politics. You decided to, to raise your hand and to come up on stage. It's hard with, with British eyes not to be somewhat aghast with Donald Trump, but that's with us with having our own cultural bias. I are you of that opinion that fundamentally, oh, don't really understand this. I'm a Brit. We do politics correctly in Britain. We have, we give politicians all of 44 days, you know, in seats to be prime minister. And or do you have another point to make? Corey, yours is the last word. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to, all things being equal, he's going to win the nomination unless he keels over or something. He's going to definitely win it. And I thought that already, but the one, what sealed it for me, as if I needed sealing already, as I said, I was already pretty convinced, was that watching DeSantis last night when they asked him about, you know, they asked him about what Trump had said about him. And he gave a very wordy, 
convoluted answer. And that right there told me there's no way that he can stand toe to toe um, on a debate stage with the bully that is Trump. So he's definitely going to win the nomination. Not a chance in hell that he's going to win the general. And then what happens after that? God knows. Thank you for that, Corey. I, I did say that you can have the last word, but you know what? I, I was mistaken. We have uh, Raphael, Rabbi Raphael, who's uh, come on stage. And, and Corey make, makes an excellent point, and it takes us back to one of the first questions, which is why is it that so many in the Republican Party cower really in front of Donald Trump. Ted Cruz, Donald Trump took a swing at him, his father and his wife. And Ted Cruz would say that he's one of the biggest supporters of, of Donald Trump. He does have these rhetorical zingers. He is a bruiser. Why is it that even when he personally attacks Republicans, they don't punch back? Rabbi Davenovich, what do you reckon? Oh, I'm afraid I wasn't ready for that question. I, I do think he has the power of a schoolyard bully who shouldn't have carry the weight that he does. But I think just like, you know, a nine-year-old on the playground realizes that with some very cra cleverly crafted insults can dominate the playground. You know, Trump has shown not just that he's a bully, which is obvious enough, but sadly he has shown that America is that playground. And I, I think that says a very frightening thing <laughs> about America. What I wanted to tell you, Roy Field, and then you can comment on what I said, is that I just wanted to share with you that I wanted to drink something this mid-afternoon. I didn't want to drink tea because it quite didn't pack the punch. I didn't want to drink coffee because I didn't want to offend you since I knew I would be speaking with you later. So I had chocolate milk. I, I hope that meets with your approval. Thank you. I'm done speaking. Thank you for that In intervention on, on the stage, sir. Uh, and on that note, uh, it's time for me to uh, bring proceedings to, to a close. I don't really know what we discovered there other than there's going to be some level of a fight for the soul, for the direction, for the future of the Republican Party. And whether this is between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump and or the establishment, that fight needs to be had, especially if what Paul Dodger says is true, is that Donald Trump and MAGA fundamentally is an opportunist host, which is the body of a political party to try and get its agenda across the line and bring its agenda to, to the American people. It has to be said that there is a definitely a constituency for the politics of, of Trump, He because so many Americans are enthralled to him. But with my time in America, and admittedly, I'm in a state which is atypical, but I have traveled a little bit, I'm always kind of struck by how much Americans do fundamentally agree on the, the main issues. And it's the megaphones of some politicians which tell us otherwise, that fundamentally Americans are at each other's throats and wildly disagree. And uh, as I said, the time that I've spent in America the last six, seven years, actually, I don't really think that is the case. But we shall see what the fate of Donald J. Trump will be, and also what the fate of the Republican Party will be well before the 2024 elections. And, and maybe that party will chart itself a new course there in 
after. Thank you, Paul. Goodfellow, Adam K, Brad S, Roger Mayhem, Arnson, Burlingame, Paul Dudridge, Michael Donahue, Neam Marxis, Raphael Devanovich, and my good friend Kelly Saunders for being part of this recording of the podcast Mid Atlantic. If you're listening to this at home, you can send me an email if you like to tear me off a strip, as a few people actually did in 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 the chat. Actually, somebody called me a liberal, such and such, and why the hell am I telling the Republican Party what to do? I say to you, it's called hosting a show, having a conversation. Sometimes you ask questions to get a specific answer. I'm not telling the Republican Party what to do. But if you want to send me an email and tell me what I can do with myself, you can send me an email at Royfield, R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. And you can tell me what, oh, tell me where I'm going wrong with this podcast. If you wouldn't mind awfully, what you can do is write me a review and the podcast a review by going to Apple iTunes. That's an incredibly important way for me to expand the listenership of the podcast. The podcast is doing well after some eight years. We now have our millionth download. So praise be to all that have listened to the podcast, downloaded it. If you are listening to this at home, go tell your friends. And that's another way which we can expand our listenership. Don't forget, left of centre politics is right thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right-leaning brothers and sisters, but we try and understand them and win them over with the strength of our argument. The Commons is a most important place for any democracy where people of opposing views can at least sit down and talk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.